Well, good morning, church. It's good to see you. Thanks for being here and worshiping with us. Um, I wasn't with you this last week. Um, Our family was able to sneak away for a little vacation time, and we had a really uh, great time together. So grateful for that time, grateful for Brian, who um, taught while I was away and continued this series that we've been working our way through on the life of Moses. And today we're just going to keep on going. We're, We're nearing the end of this particular study on the life of Moses. And the focus of our study has been how it is that God shaped Moses Uh, this great character in the Bible, how he shaped him to be a servant. And this is an important thing because uh, what what I want you to know, what we need to all be aware of is the fact that God is shaping us. Um, God is shaping us and he wants us to be his servants. Um, Whether we recognize it or not, God is in the business of molding us, shaping us like an artist who's drawing a painting. You may not see the full picture, but God is, 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 is making a masterpiece. He wants to work in our life. Like a, like a sculptor who's working on a, a, a block of, of, of uh, marble. He's creating something and God is shaping us and he uses all sorts of tools, all sorts of methods to shape us to be his servants. And that's just an important thing to know. It's an encouraging thing to know, but it also helps us to know that there's just different times and different ways that God is going to be working in our lives. And the good news is you're never too old to be shaped by God and you're never too young to be shaped by God. But God wants to be working in your life to shape you. When I think about my own personal life, I know that God brought me to South Hills Church. um, And part of that is to be involved in the shaping of South Hills Church. But I also know that God brought South Hills Church to me because he wants to shape me in the process of, of being at South Hills Church as well. God is in the business of working in our lives, using different methods, different tools. And so if we looked at Moses' life, we even started very early. We saw that God was at work shaping Moses even before he was born. We saw how God was using his, his history and his, his family that he was raised in to be a part of shaping him. And it's helpful because it helps us understand, okay, God, why, why is it that you, what is, why did you use my, what about my unique history and my parent, my parent and my family that you're using? And the, the point is that God wants to use your unique history. He wants to use your parents and your family as part of who, how he is shaping you. We looked at the mistakes of Moses and how God uses even the mistakes to shape who Moses is. We looked at how when Moses went into a desert season of his life, how God was even using desert times. Because sometimes God has to isolate us and bring us to a point of just where we have no resources. So we finally stop and listen and say, God, I'm dependent upon you. I need it to learn what it is that you want to teach me. So sometimes God brings us into those places to continue to shape us. We also, over the last couple of weeks, have been able to see how God used Moses as he shaped him to be a, doing a great work for him, that God brought him to this crossroad moment, the burning bush moment, where Moses had to make a decision to say, who am I going to follow? And by choosing to follow God, he was choosing to say no to other things. And you need to be aware that you will come to crossroad moments. You will come to crossroad moments in your life where you will have a decision to make, to say, am I going to choose to follow God or not? And there's lots of excuses we can come up to, but the decision is still there. We may have to say no to certain things to say yes to following God, but that's part of what God wants to bring us these points to say, will you choose to follow me? Unfortunately, Moses does choose to follow God. 
And God uses him in a great way. And he uses all the stuff in his history, all the different places that he'd been to use him and to shape him for, to be his servant. And he led God's people out of um, slavery, out of Egypt, into uh, to the Red Sea moment, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago. And we saw the victories in the valleys and that Brian talked about. And all of that is to help us understand that, you know, if God brings us to some place, um, he's also going to get us through whatever it is that he's bringing us to. But he's shaping us and he's working in our lives. And in Moses' life, he's used in a great way. Now, today, we're going to look at another moment in Moses' life. And it's a moment in Moses' life that I wish I could skip over because this is really the low point in Moses' life, a low point in his ministry. Next week, we'll take a look at kind of the high point of, of Moses' ministry. But today, we get to look at a, a point in which Moses blows it. Moses really messes up. And I want to, it's important we look at it, not so that we could, we judge Moses. It's important that we look at it so we can say, yeah, we're no better than Moses. That if Moses could blow it, then you and I better believe we could blow it too. And so we need to be warned by what it is that Moses does to, to become, a, really in this point of his life, a servant who chooses not to serve. That at some point in his life, he got to a spot um, where he, um, rather than serve, puts himself up as a savior. And, and, it, and it really messes things up. And, and that's what we get to look at today and really be warned by uh, so that we don't fall into the same, the same uh, struggle, the same uh, difficulty that Moses falls into. So, we're going to look at a passage that helps us understand um, this moment in Moses' life so we can, again, learn and be warned by it. It's found in Numbers chapter 20. Numbers chapter 20. If you have your Bible, I invite you to turn to it. If you don't have your Bible, we'll put it up on the screen. Hopefully you, you have your notes there too. You can follow along with us. But just um, by way of background, this is a picking up now after the Red Sea the people of Israel, they, they go into, they're meant to go into the promised land, but um, they, they don't. It, in fact, it's 40 years of them wandering through the wilderness um, before they make it to the promised land. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. But this picks up really 38 years after that Red Sea moment where they've then been wandering for quite some time. Moses is very tired at this point, um, and they're at the point of maybe of going, of going back into the promised, of going into the promised land, um, and this is where it picks up, and you as we see it, you'll see the struggle that Moses has and the people have as well. So with that, let's, I want to invite you to stand as we read this passage so that we can hear the whole story, and then we'll come back and we'll look at it verse by verse. But Numbers 20, beginning in verse 1 all the way through 13, it says this. In the first month, the whole Israelite community arrived at the desert of Zin, and they stayed at Kadesh. There Miriam died and was buried. Now there was no water for the community, and the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. They quarreled with Moses and said, If only we had died with our, when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. What a strange statement. Oh, I wish we had died. What a weird thing to say. But that's what they're saying. If only we had fell dead before the Lord um, when our brothers did. Then verse 4. Why did you bring the Lord's community into this wilderness that we are and our livestock should be die there? Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to this terrible place that has no grain or figs, grapevines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink? Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance to the tent of meeting and fell face down, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. The Lord said to Moses, "Take the staff 
And you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. Speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so that their livestock can drink. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence just as he commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arm, struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out, and the community and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. These were the waters of Meribah, where the Israelites quarreled with the Lord and where he was proved holy among them. Okay, go ahead and have a seat. We'll take a look at it together. Beginning in verse 1, it says this, In the first month, the whole Israelite community arrived at the desert of Zin, and they stayed at Kadesh, where Miriam died and was buried. So just to kind of give you a context of where you're at, if you were here this last week, you remember that the Israelites were in the desert of Sin, which um, is not this place. Now, the desert of Sin is, uh, is south of the desert of Zin. So I'll show a map so you can kind of see where it's at. Um, interesting names, of course, but the desert of Sin is, is down south, but they're up in the northern area, desert of Zin, and they're in an area called Kadesh Barnea. And this is an uh, important thing to just recognize where they're at. And the reason why it's important to understand where they're at is because they have been here before. See, when they, when they exited from Egypt and they crossed the Red Sea, um, God brought them to uh, a point of, of going into the promised land. You may remember the story. You can read about it in Numbers uh, chapter 13 and 14. And as they were entering, about to enter into the promised land, um, they sent out 12 spies to go up into the promised land and check it out. Do you remember that story? Um, the 12 spies go up um, and they go up into the land and they, they come back and boy, do they have stories. They say, wow, this place is incredible. It is a, a land flowing with milk and honey. And so they, they come back with this great, this great report in terms of the land. Um, and because of that, there's two guys, Joshua and Caleb. You remember, may remember them. They're like, great. This is the land that God promised. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. Let's go take it. Now, the problem is, it was only Joshua and Caleb who said, let's do it. All the other spies, the other 10, um, grew chicken feathers and said, no way. We're not going up there. There's big dudes up there and they're scary. And so they started to panic and they created panic and fear among the people, which is why, of course, we name our kids Joshua and Caleb, right? Because they're the heroes. Now, the other guys' names are listed, but their names like Palti and, and Guel, but you don't know any kid named Guel, do you, right? Because we like the heroes. We like Joshua and Caleb. They're the ones that said, let's go for it. Let's take the land. But the other 10 spies, they again, they said, no way. It's scary. And sadly, the whole Israelite community listened to them and they said, oh no, we can't go. We, it will be, it'll be too hard. And so God says, okay then then you're not going to go. And he says, listen, this whole generation is not going to go into the promised land. And he says, for 40 years, you're going to wander in the desert. And everyone who's over the age of 20 years old, um, that's part of this generation is going to die off. 
before, because you're, this generation will not enter into the promised land because you didn't trust me and you, you, you let fear uh, dominate. And so what happened then is the next 40 years, um, people, the people of Israel wandered through the desert and that whole older generation just kept dying off, which is a really sad thing. And so that's just what takes place. And over, that 40, over the course of those 40 years, People kept dying and dying, but eventually they get to a point where they're now ready to go back into, ready to go into the promised land, and they're brought back to the very same place that they were at before. This is where they're at again, Kadesh Barnea. They're at the front door to the promised land. And at this point, if you're Moses, you're probably thinking to yourself, come on, guys, don't mess this up again, right? He's like, we're there, we're on the front porch, and he's, he's, he's wanting to get them across the goal line. And he's like, don't mess this up again. It's probably a lot of what he's feeling. And then compounded on all of that of 40 years of wandering, or, or 38 years at this point of wandering, which you're very tired of, of I'm sure, of all of that. It, what I want you to see, particularly in this verse, is the end of verse 1. It says this. It says that there Miriam died and was buried. So on top of the fact that they're on the front porch of the promised land, he's like, come on, let's not mess this up. I want to get you across. He himself is grieving because Miriam, if you don't know, is his sister. So his sister, who is important to him, is a significant figure in his life, has passed away. She was one of the unbelieving ones who didn't, who didn't want to go into the promised land. And so she dies in the desert. And so he's grieving. He's grieving that loss. And this is, uh, again, to show you where he, they're at and where, how Moses is feeling in this moment. Then verse 2. Now, there was no water at the community, and the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. This is an interesting thing. So there's no water. Um, maybe you've heard this familiar story before in Israelite's history. Oh, we're stuck. We're no water. What are we going to do? And, it's, and it says that they gathered together, and they didn't gather together, notice in this verse, to talk with Moses. What did they do? They gathered it together in opposition to Moses. So it's not a gathering to talk and saying, we're struggling. What are we going to do? It's we're, we're, we're angry. And what are they doing? They're transferring their anger over to Moses. Do you see that there? Not that we would ever do that in our relationships, would we? When we're angry, when we're struggling, we would never transfer it on somebody else. I've got a problem. Oh, I don't want to face my problem, so I'm going to start blaming other people in my life. That's what's going on here. And, and it's, it's sad because poor Moses, he just lost his sister. Um, so just compounding it because of the, the place he's at. But when you're angry, we become very clumsy and insensitive to the feelings of other people, don't we? And that's exactly what's taking place here. And listen to what they say. In verse 3, it says, They quarreled with Moses and said, If only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. Oh, great. Moses, we missed our opportunity to die. I mean, can you, that's just a crazy statement, right? It just shows, again, how out of whack they are and how desperate they are that they're complaining to him, wishing they had died. They're blaming him that, they, that they're not, they're, they're, they didn't die before. And so this is the spot that they're at. So they're, they're attacking him. And they go, go on in verse 4. It says this, Why did you bring the Lord's community into the wilderness that we and our livestock should die here. So who are they blaming? Moses. They're like, it's your fault that we're out here. 
This is a long time of hearing this. I don't know, by the way, if, you, if you've been following along in the Exodus journey. They've been going through a long time, and it's the same message. Same song, second verse. It's your fault, Moses. I mean, these are the, now the younger generation coming into the promised land. So they're the ones that, um, you know, don't remember Egypt, but they're blaming Moses for the, bringing them out into this place, bringing them out of the desert. They're saying, man, Moses, we missed our opportunity to be slaves. And so you brought us out here to this desert. It's terrible. So this is kind of the mindset that they have, and they're blaming him, and they're saying, it's, it's you. Then verse 5, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to this terrible place? It has no grain, figs, grapevines, or pomegranates, and there's no water to drink. Does that sound familiar? Sounds just like what their parents said. The older generation that was dying off, they were like, oh, you know what? They were looking back to Egypt as the glory days, as the great days, but forgetting the fact that they were slaves, that they were, they were uh, brutally diminished and, and, and beaten, and yet they're saying they, it's easier for them to look back instead of looking forward. And it's interesting that they, mo- they mention back in Egypt, this is what we had. They didn't have that. Again, this is the new generation. They didn't have all that stuff. They're listening to what their parents said, and they're saying, man, if only we had what we had before. But do you, I just want to just, just point out again how crazy this is, that they want to go back instead of going forward, and they, they, they think of the, the history as the, the good times and missing the fact that God wants to lead them forward to a promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And I'll just point out one thing. Back in um, that time when the uh, spies went into the promised land. Do you remember what they came back with? Yes. Let me show you. It says this in Exodus 13, 23. When they reached the valley of Eshcol, they cut off a branch bearing single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried on a pole between them, along with some pomegranates and figs. All the same stuff that they are wanting, that they're looking back to Egypt for, God is saying, I want to give that to you. And your, your parents missed that opportunity. Don't you miss the opportunity as well? Because yes, certainly, the, the wilderness is not the place for these things. But I want to take you to a place where you will be blessed and will you receive these things. And so, again, that's what they're calling out for. And um, it's just this desperate spot that they're at. Then the next verse. Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell face down. And the glory of the Lord appear, appeared to them. So what's great about this is... Even though they've been, um, Moses is probably very tired. He's grieving. There's been complaining. And this is the same song, you know, same song, second verse. They've heard it over and over and over again for 38 years. He still says, I got to go back and I want to come before the Lord. And so he comes before the Lord here in this verse and he falls face down and the glory of the Lord appeared to him. What does God say? God gives him a message to deliver. Verse seven, the Lord said to Moses, take the staff you and your brother Aaron, and gather the assembly together. So the staff, that's Moses' staff. That's the staff that he used to, uh, it was involved in parting the Red Sea. It was the staff that was used to, um, uh, when the time of Pharaoh, when he was, you know, he would touch the Nile and it turned to blood. So this is the staff that represents um, God's, God's presence and God's work. And so he grabbed, says, grab the staff, gather the assembly together. This is the message that I want you to give. Speak to that rock before their eyes, and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so that they and their livestock can drink. Interesting, he says, speak to the rock. And from the rock, water is going to pour out for my people. Now, I don't know about you, but this is not what I would have been expecting. 
from God. In fact, the moment that God said, take the staff, I would probably have been thinking God's going to say, take the staff, go out to the people, and whack the biggest whiner in the head, and then I'm going to fry him and warn everybody else that I'm going to fry them too, right? <laughs> Fortunately, God didn't ask me or, 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 or consult me on that moment because that's what I would be expecting. These people have been whining and whining and whining and complaining. They're quarreling. Get the staff, beat them, right? That would have been the, the logical you know, response. God doesn't do that. He says, no, here's what I want you to do. I want you to speak to this rock and I want to pour forth water for these people. And you say, well, God, why would you do that? Because he loves them. Do they deserve it? No. Did they do anything to earn it? No, they didn't. And this is the amazing thing. And this is probably, again, we're, we're challenged by this incredible word that we, if you don't understand this one word in the Bible, um, you will have a hard time understanding the Bible. If you don't understand this one word and this one concept, you'll have a hard time understanding the Bible, and you'll have a hard time really truly understanding what it means to have a real, true, authentic relationship with God. You know what that word is? Grace. grace. Amen. It's grace. If you don't understand the word grace, then you'll miss it because this is all about grace. Grace, by the way, the definition would be this. It's God's love and his favor that he pours out on us even though we did nothing to earn it and we did nothing to deserve it. It's his love poured out on us. And the Israelites did nothing to earn it, nothing to deserve it. But God wants to give them water. God wants to show him, show them his love, his favor. He wants to care for them generously. That is grace. And it's so important that we get this. In fact, when God is talking about his grace and his love for the Israelites, listen to what he says in Deuteronomy. It's, an, it's a very fascinating statement. Deuteronomy 7, 7. He's talking about the Israelites and why he loves them. Listen to what he says. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than the other peoples, um, for you were the fewest of all peoples. So God's saying, listen, Israelites, I'm choosing to put my love on you, not because you're the biggest, the brightest, the best, the smartest, the strongest. You're the weakest. But I choose to love you. Why? Because I choose to love you. Well, wait a minute, God. Why would you choose to love them? Because I choose to love them. God, well, but that's great. That's nice. You're choosing to love them. But why? 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 Because I love them. That's grace. God chooses to love us. Not because we've earned it, we've done nothing to deserve it. That's his amazing grace. And we see that in the lives of the Israels, but it's also offered to you and to me. And I don't want to miss the opportunity to declare it. Because it says this in Ephesians um, 2, 8 and 9. It says this, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. God wants to give us a gift, his love, undeserved love and his uh, unmerited uh, favor. How? How do we receive it? What does this passage say? We receive it by faith, by just receiving it and trusting him that he is a God who shows grace. He is a God who shows love by trusting and believing in who? The, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who. By trusting in him, we receive grace. And it says in this passage, it's not something, our salvation, our love, the love that God has for us, it is not something that comes from ourselves. It's nothing that we bring to the table and say, God, look what I've done for you. Now will you love me? It's not that way. 
It's that we come to God empty and broken with nothing to offer. And it says in this passage, it's not from ourselves. It is a gift of God. It's not that we bring something to him and he says, oh, thank you for this nice gift. I will now love you. It's us coming saying we have nothing and him saying, okay, I know. And I have a gift for you. And that's grace. That's his love that he gives us his undeserved, unmerited favor and love through the work of Jesus Christ. It's not by works, our works, that none of us can boast. It's us boasting in what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. In our place, he gives us a gift, a gift that we can receive through simple faith in his work on our behalf. This is what God does for the Israelites back there. It's what God wants to bring to us He wants to give us life. He wants to give us gifts. We don't bring anything to him. We just receive the gift through simple faith and trust in him. That's the picture that God wants to represent. It's for you. It's for me. It's for them back then. And again, that's the shock because give me a staff and I'll beat people down, right? God says, hey, you show my staff. It represents me and represents my love and my grace. And I want water to be given to these people. So then, that's the message that he's to be given. Verse 9, what does Moses do? Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence just as he commanded. Okay, great, you're doing good so far, Moses. But then all of a sudden, Moses breaks off, and he does a little impromptu sermon. And it doesn't, it all, it all goes downhill from there. Look at it in verse 10. It says this, he and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, listen, you rebels, Must we bring you water out of this rock? Is that what God told him to say? No. Listen, you rebels. Same word, word, quarrelers. It comes that same concept. You quarrelers, you rebels. So he's chastising them. He's shaming them. And then there's an interesting thing that he says here in this statement. He says, must we bring you water out of this rock? Who's the we that Moses is referring to? Is it Moses and God? Is it Moses and Aaron and God? Because it's certainly not Moses and Aaron. Because they're not bringing water out of a rock, right? That's only a God thing. So all of a sudden, is it Moses? Is it, does God need a partner? Is all of a sudden Moses like, okay, God, it's you and me. We got this. We'll bring water out of the rock. Huh? Are you sure? How is it that now the servant becomes the master? Do you see that, that shift, the slip, the failure? No longer is he coming to serve. He's coming to be the master. When you're the master, you get to be the judge. And when you're the judge, you get to determine, do I save you or not? And the implication is, I'm not sure I want to. That's the implication here. Must we Bring you water out of this rock. Then look at what he does in verse 11. Then Moses raised his arm and he struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out and the community and their livestock drank. He raised his arm and he struck the rock not just once, twice. Why? Because he's ticked off. That's why. So he smacks the rock twice and water gushes out. I don't think, by the way, Moses was expecting water to come out. I think that's still just a moment of God's grace that's, that's happening, that's taking place here. But what we do see is that water still gushes out. Now, this is an interesting, um, interesting thing because he strikes the rock 
And the, the problem with this in this moment that I, I really want you to see is that the people still get water. You see that? He doesn't do what God asked him to do. He strikes the rock instead of speaks to it, but the people still get water. But I, what, what I want you to see is they get, they get the water that God wanted them to receive, but they didn't get the message that God wanted them to receive. And that's a problem. See, God wanted to show his grace to them, but the message they received was from a grumpy guy. That's not the message that God had for his people, was it? See, you can do the right thing, but with the wrong attitude, and it's still very wrong. You can still say, I'm a servant of God, but if you serve with the wrong motive, guess what? You're blowing it. You're messing it up. You're missing it, and you're still doing the wrong thing. That's what Moses falls into. He, he's, he's there, he, God wants to give them water. They get it from a, a, from a grumpy guy, and it's not the message that God has for them or wants them to hear. Verse 12, then it says this, But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. So Moses uh, and Aaron, God speaks to them. He says, listen, because you didn't trust me and you didn't honor me as holy. What is it? What's the deal with honoring God as holy? And this, this, you have to understand what the word holy means to really understand what God is saying. The word holy means to be separate, to be set apart. And so he's, God is saying to Moses and, and to Aaron, he said, listen, you didn't set me apart. You elevated yourself. Must we bring this water out of this rock, that rock for you? Must we save you? See, God wants to have a relationship. That's true. God wants to be close to us for sure. But God is separate from us, and we need to be clear about that at the same time. That we have a God who's personal, and yet a God who is separate. A God who stands above. And at the point we elevate ourselves to God, Godness, then we're in, we're in trouble. We're in a bad place. You see, it's, it's, a, it's the servant who becomes the master, who then becomes a judge, and because it becomes the Savior, he, he messes things up. And he says, listen, you didn't honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites. And as a result of that, um, there, is, there is a consequence. And so uh, uh, before we go to the consequence, though, um, let me just talk a moment about Moses' challenge because I think it's, it's important for us to, to see um, that Moses does have a challenge that we, we struggle with as well. Many of us struggle with the same, very same thing. Moses was angry. Not only was he sad, not only is he kind of struggling with the just exhaustion from all these people, but he's, he's an angry guy. And he allowed his anger to overwhelm and dominate in this moment. And if, it doesn't take long for us to figure out, if you study the Bible, to see that Moses struggled with anger. Um, you know, from the very early on when he was in Egypt, there was a slave master who was beating a slave. And so um, Moses steps in and he kills the guy. And murder is positive, you know, uh, display of anger. Uh, just just a, if you're wondering, you know, you know there's, a, there's a point in which if you're killing somebody, you're an angry person. That's just, it's going to come out. And that's part of it. You see that there early on. And see, when God sends Moses to go speak to uh, Pharaoh and to challenge Pharaoh, there's a, there's a point in which 
Moses just gets angry, very angry. And it talks about it in this. I'll show you the passage. Um, in Exodus eleven eight. it says this. And these officials of yours will come to me, bowing down before me, saying, Go, and you and all the people will follow you. After that, I will leave. Then Moses, this is him after talking to Pharaoh, he says, Then Moses is hot with anger. Hot. You see the color, right? You feel it. He's red hot with anger. God asked Moses to go challenge Pharaoh. He never asked Moses to be mad at Pharaoh. Um, that was just a bonus that Moses put in on himself. You know what I mean? He could handle that. He had the anger. You remember, may remember the Ten Commandments. Um, when Moses goes up to receive the Ten Commands, and he leaves the Israelites um, for a period of time, and there's, he's coming back down the mountain. Here, there's, you, you may know the story. They'd kind of, while he was gone, they'd, con- they'd gone buck wild, and he comes back down. He finds them. He's so upset, he smashes the, the Ten Commands. And so then when he goes back up a second time, that's when God says, okay, this time you chisel out the Ten Commands, the, the, the stone tablets, because he, it was, a, again, a point of which, hey, your anger got the best of you. So we see this anger come up over and over and over again in Moses' life. And, and this is where he struggles. And, and because he struggles with this anger, he, he blows it. He, he, his attitude doesn't match the, 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 the message, the servants that, that God had for him. And so there is a consequence. It says this, you will not bring this community into the land that I give them. You will not bring this community into the land that I bring them. You're saying, whoa. So Moses, all this time, you're leading God's people out of Egypt and through the desert, but you don't get to lead them into the promised land. And you might be thinking to yourself, that just seems harsh, right? Have you ever come to that spot going, man, Moses blows it once. He hits the rock and he can't go into the promised land. That seems like a very harsh consequence. And and it, and it, and it is, but, but there's a reason for it. And I want you to see why. Um, because because there's, a, there's another interesting passage in 1 Corinthians, and it talks about this experience. It talks about the Israelites and how they had the, the, the cloud and the fire, and they were been brought out. They'd led by the Lord. They had the spiritual um, bre- manna, the, the spiritual food, the manna, all of these things. It talks about in 1 Corinthians 10. It says this, they ate the same spiritual food, that is the manna, they drank the same spiritual drink. That's the, the, the water that comes from the rock. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them. And in 1 Corinthians it says, and that rock was Christ. So what this helps us understand is that the New Testament's helping us understand that that rock was a picture that God wanted the Israelites to have a picture of Christ even before he came. That there's, a, there's, a, there's grace that's being offered to them. That's the whole point. And, and Moses messes it up because you don't have to beat Jesus to get a blessing. That's the, that's the problem. And he, he finds this, himself in this spot where our job as servants, our job as ministers for God is to give a picture of what God is like. That's our job. When we're serving, we're to give a picture of what God is like. We're to give a picture of Jesus. And Moses, in this moment does not give a great picture of God, does he? Because God is not a cranky God. God is a God who wants to give grace, and he wants to give, he wants to bless, and Moses misses it. And so it's important that we see the consequences there, because he, he, he loses his, um, really his, 
the whole goal of what he's being called to be, which is a servant, to give a picture of Christ. And so this is, this is the challenge. Then the next verse, we just have to see the very end here where it comes to, these were the waters of Meribah, where the Israelites quarreled with the Lord, and where he was proved holy among them. So then this kind of just comes to a, a final statement. This is the place of Meribah, a place of quarreling. And it's interesting, the people were quarreling against God and against Moses. But, and, the, and Moses calls them rebels, by the way. But interestingly, God, Moses also rebelled against God, and he quarreled against God's people. Do you, do you see that? And what, what I want you to see is that is there's this reality that if um, we, we start to miss the fact that what God's called us to be about as servants, that we can become the very thing that we despise, the very person that you struggle with, you are in danger of becoming when you, when you lose sight of what it means to be a servant. You show me the person that gets under your skin, I'll show you the person that you're in danger of becoming. Um, that's the whole point. Because this is where Moses, he ends up being very much like the Israelites in his complaining and he's, he, you know, with his anger uh, blowing up on the people. So the question then is, how do we avoid the failure of Moses? What can we learn from Moses' life so that we don't also fall into the same um, struggle, the same pattern, the same um, the same uh, failure that he fell into. And so what I want to do is give you four simple questions, truly just simple questions to stop and to ask yourself, okay, am I in danger of falling into the same trap, the same problem that Moses fell into? So let me give you four questions to avoid the failure of Moses. Ask yourself, am I sad? Am I sad? Moses was sad. He had lost his sister. So there's grief there. And there's real grief. And when you are, you have grief and you're unaware of it, it can drive you to places that you don't want to go. And you may say, well, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sad. I'm just unhappy. Okay, call it whatever you want. But are you aware of it? Are you aware that you are sad? That's an important conversation and question to ask. The second question is this, am I angry? Am I angry? Moses was angry. And in, in, in many ways, for good reason. But he had anger, and he had frustration. And you may say, well, I'm not angry, I'm frustrated. Okay, again, call it whatever you want. But the question is, are you angry? Because if you are not aware of it, it can drive you to dangerous places and, and, and that can be very damaging. Then the third question is this, am I lonely? Am I lonely? See, Moses was singled out by the people. Look what you did, Moses. And all of a sudden, it's everyone against Moses. And so he feels very isolated, very alone. And it's a, it's a difficult place to be. And the question is, are you, are you lonely? And more than that, are you aware of it? Because if you're not aware of it, you may end up giving a message off to others that you never intended to give. Then for, fourth question is this, am I tired? Am I tired? Moses was very tired. He'd been um, worn down for a, lot of, a long season of time. And so the question is, are you sad? Are you angry? Are you lonely? Are you tired? You know what that spells? Salt, right? S-A-L-T. You may say to yourself, well, wait a minute. It's, it's, Moses was sad, and then he was lonely, and then angry, and then tired. And of course, that is the flow, but um, uh, that would spell slat. And um, <laughs> I think salt is better. So use salt, or I'll get angry at you, okay? So... <laughs> But I want you to get that because the, the point there is with those four questions is to ask, what's my salt content? 
Where, where, where am I at? Because if I'm salty, I can end up going, and I'm not aware of it, I can find myself in a really dangerous place. And that's where Moses found himself, in a really dangerous place. And I just want, want, want us, we need to be aware of it. You may be thinking to yourself, well, great. What a cheery message, Scott. Yeah, I'm four for four on that. And let me just say this. If you're in a spot and you're saying, yeah, I think I, I get it. I'm sad. I'm angry. I'm lonely, tired. One of those, all four of those. Let me just stop and let me just remind you who to go to and where to go. Because if you're not aware of it and you're just holding it and you're managing yourself, you will struggle. You will end up falling into the same trap that Moses fell into. What can we do, though, differently? Oh, more, more, more better question, maybe who can we go to in the midst of that? Because if we don't go to Jesus, we'll go to something else. And so can we just stop and say, we need to go to Jesus when we're sad, angry, lonely, tired. Well, what, what does Jesus have to help with? Well, first of all, sad. Jesus, were you ever sad? A man of sorrows, uh, acquainted with grief. Oh, yeah, Jesus, you know something about s- sadness. Uh, wh- what about ang- angry? Okay, yeah, you know, Jesus, you know, you remember the, the story of the temple, the cleansing of the temple? He was angry, yet he didn't sin, but there's real anger there. So yeah, he, he gets something about it. Lonely. Jesus, were you ever lonely? Yeah. You, you heard that statement, the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Or he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's asking his friends to just stay up with him for a little bit of time, and they don't. Is he lonely? Yes, he understands lonely. Uh, tired. Jesus, are you tired? In that garden moment, he's just overwhelmed with grief, exhaustion, burden. Jesus knows tired. So guess what? We can go to God. We can go to Jesus because he understands. He's able to sympathize. And if we aren't aware and we don't go there, we'll go someplace else. And if we go someplace else, it's a dangerous place for us and for others. So we need to stop and say, yeah, Jesus, I need to come to you. When I'm sad, when I'm angry, when I'm lonely and I'm tired. Because is there anything wrong with those things? No. It's very normal that you find yourself in a spot where you're sad, angry, lonely, tired. The danger is if you don't go to Jesus when you are sad, angry, lonely, tired. Let's take a moment and let's come to him together now. God, we again thank you for your word and how it speaks to our life. And even as we look at the life of Moses, we see his struggle And we see how it is also our struggle as well. And many of us here are in a spot where we do feel uh, the burden of life or the same things that keep coming up and over and over. We find ourselves in a place where we are sad or angry or lonely or tired. And so, Lord, we want to come to you. We thank you, God, for your grace and your mercy. We thank you that even if we have blown it, You're still a God who offers us your grace. You're still a God who, not because of anything we've done to earn it or deserve it, you want to love us. All we have to do is turn and trust you. We thank you for that. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sins so that our brokenness, we can find healing. From our slavery to sin, we can find freedom. So we thank you for that, God. And God, for those of us here who have allowed sadness to rule our hearts or anger to drive us to places that uh, we're ashamed of or loneliness keeping us from the community and the connection to you that we desperately need, we're just exhausted, Lord. We pray today that you would help us to see you, 
to come to you, to trust you, and that you would bring us healing, that the waters of life would be again renewed in us because of who you are and all that you've done for us, God. We pray this in your name. Amen.